Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's discussion is with Professor Betsy Linnell, and our topic of discussion is grief. We hope this conversation is enlightening and encouraging. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, for the introduction. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today in the program, I am talking with Betsy Linnell, Assistant Professor of Psychology at Cedarville University. Betsy earned her undergraduate degree in elementary education and special education from Cedarville University, then went on to the University of Dayton to earn a master's degree in education and allied professions. After she completed her academic studies, Betsy shifted her career focus and became a licensed professional clinical counselor with a supervisory endorsement. We'll learn more about the professional transition today on the podcast. Betsy taught elementary school for seven years and then spent 10 years serving in public mental health where she specialized in working with children who have experienced loss and trauma. Today in the program, we're going to dive into Betsy's strong desire to help others deal with grief. And this includes her own grief, as her mom, at the time of this recording, was in hospice care. The podcast team learned just three weeks later that her mom has passed away. For Betsy, though, she clings to her mom's favorite Bible passage, that being Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 31, that reads, God gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. This scripture is a great backdrop to today's conversation with Betsy Linnell on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Betsy. It's great to have you in studio. Thank you, Mark. So I mentioned in the introduction, Betsy, that I want to talk about dealing with grief and the difficulties of life. Uh, but before I do that, I'm curious to know why you switched from being an elementary school teacher to a licensed professional clinical counselor and a professor at Cedarville University. Hmm. Well, I initially, I would probably even back up, which mm -hmm. this will tie into part of what we share today. I yeah. started here at Cedarville as a nursing student. Oh, did you? And so it was, I had taken all of the science courses before the beginning of my junior year. Yeah. And I went to start a needle on a mannequin and I couldn't do it. Oh my. So I switched over to education because I loved children. I had thought I would yeah. be a pediatric oncology nurse. Um and so I loved children and I loved teaching, but I found myself when I was teaching, spending more time dealing with their um, mental, emotional, and spiritual issues than doing math. And I loved that more. So okay. I had a mentor that was like, we don't have a lot of Christian counselors for children. You need to do this. I'm glad you did make the change because I've seen you work here at the university teaching your students um, things that are, you're really passionate about. As I mentioned, at the core of today's conversation, we're going to talk about grief, which is something mm -hmm. people have a difficulty in grasping, that it can also be a blessing from the Lord. Why is today the right time for you to join me on the program? Because we both know that I asked you many times and you said no. So why is today the right time for you to speak about your story and grief? Well, right now I am currently walking actively with my mom in hospice. And so grief has been a part of my mom and I's journey for the last 25 plus years. Um, she was actually diagnosed first with cancer while I was a student here at Cedarville okay. back in 1997. Okay. Um, her cancer went into remission, and then five years later, it came back, and she has been actively 
fighting stage four cancer and now lung cancer. Mm. And so part of today um, is in her honor, um, just sharing a lot of the lessons that she's taught me and to thank her for that. Um, But also just recognizing I have had many, many students who have prayed for her that have then come to me and asked, how do you do this, Professor Linnell? What do you... What do we do? What do we do with our feelings? And so I just feel like it's a topic that touches everyone, especially post-pandemic. And so I just wanted to share what God has taught me. And when you say uh, this is a way to honor her, you showed her honor by even asking her before doing this interview if if it was okay if you talked about this. I did. I asked her, I said, Mom, I would love for you to be able to hear this. I've asked you, let's not air it until after she has passed, just so that she doesn't get a lot of attention. She's not that type of a person that would want a lot of people to reach out to her. Um, She's a very quiet lady. And so I went to her and said, Mom, this is what I want to do. And she said, please do it. Please help them know that it's okay to question God, that it's okay to go back to him and to grieve actively. So before we dive deep into the, the grief topic, um, another part of your story is you talk about you love children. So not long ago, you started fostering a young lady and now you're in the process of adopting her. Yes. Why, why fostering? Why adoption? Um, I had done respite foster care for a period of time before I became a professor here at Cedarville. And I just have always had a mother's heart. That's something that my mom has instilled. She has always loved children. And in particular, we giggle that we both love um, children from hard places and hard spaces. And so with her blessing, she said, let's not, why are you waiting? You can do this single. So I started to foster and the first kiddo placed in my home, I am now moving towards adoption, which is a joy, but also another loss for my daughter as she kind of navigates not being able to go back to birth family. And so grief there too. I commend you. It's um, it takes a special person. We all should probably consider doing what you're doing. Not everyone does, obviously. Betsy, uh, grief is a topic you have been intimately acquainted with for a long time in many different areas. You just shared about your personal walk with your mom, which we're going to get into in much greater detail on the program. But I also know that you're a counselor who dealt with trauma yourself and that you are a chairperson for your church's grief ministry. Why is it important for you to use your education and your heart in your church ministry? Well, I definitely think grief is something our Father, God, was very acquainted with. Jesus also is a sympathetic um, witness to that. We think of him when he went to Bethany and knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. A lot of people joke about memorizing the shortest verse in the Bible of he wept. They skip over how powerful it was that he chose to enter into grief when he didn't have to. Mm. He chose to walk with others and shoulder their burdens and feel that pain alongside of them in order to demonstrate his compassion, his power. I used to say to some of the parents of the kiddos I counseled, I never, ever want to wish pain on a child. Yet I also see such beauty come out of the ashes and so much growth and resiliency in those children that is only of the Lord. Yeah, I'm old enough to know that um, probably some of the greatest lessons in my life have have been born out of grief. 
uh, grief that was my own doing at times and grief mm -hmm. that, that wasn't. And uh, dealing with that is really important. So I would never want anyone not to experience difficulty because I think there is, as you said, um, learning opportunities. So let's walk through your journey with your mom. You mentioned she was diagnosed with cancer back when you were a student um, in what, what year did you say? It was the spring of 1997. I will never forget. Um, I was being picked up here from the spring semester. My parents, at that point in time, freshmen weren't allowed to have cars on campus at Cedarville. Okay. So my parents had driven down to let, pick me up. Let, let's stop there. So obviously they're not from the local area. Where, where are they from? Um, they currently live in northern Indiana. So they had driven down. I was saying goodbye to my dear friend, Nikki, who was in Willits. I had lived in Maddox. Okay. And so we had packed up all my things. We drove over to Willits. I ran up to say goodbye to her, give her a hug. She gave me a small gift. And I remember coming back down, climbing in the car, thinking we were going to get on the road. And my parents both paused and turned around. Mm. And my dad said, we have to tell you something. My mom looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, I'm, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm going to have to start, or they're going to do a mastectomy, and then I'm going to have to start radiation and chemotherapy yeah. this summer. That's why we didn't want you to work at the camp. They had asked me not to work okay. at a camp that I had wanted to go to. And so that was a long three-hour ride home. Not a lot was said. <laughs> mm. that, that is very difficult for anyone to deal with. You know, I interject briefly, um, you know, my sister-in-law just passed away mm -hmm. from metastatic breast cancer. And um, so the, the pain that my brother is dealing with is real. And that's exactly yes. where you were at that point, right? Yes, it is very real. I'm sorry for that passing in your family too. It is hard being able to navigate and know exactly what's going to come. Cancer is not something that any of us enjoy hearing the word of or know how to walk through. What was that like for you as a college student to be working toward a degree and knowing your mom is dealing with a life-changing disease? It was incredibly difficult. I remember that year um, I had considered not doing nursing anymore, but because of her diagnosis, I actually felt like I was supposed to do this right. and I had to continue on. This was what I had told them I was going to do prior to her diagnosis. I had actually declared that I wanted to work with children in oncology. Okay. Oh, wow. Watching her walk through chemotherapy and realizing the number of needles I was going to have to put into a child, um, the pain that I was going to see, I did not personally feel that I could do it. Right. I have mad respect for our nursing students. Here at Cedarville, I think that a lot of times we don't recognize how much grief they see on a daily basis. And so it was really difficult. I would probably say that my sophomore and then into my junior year, even after I had changed my major, were two of my most difficult years of my entire life. Mm. I also was my advisor at that time. I'm trying to remember her name. I can see her face. Lois Baker was my advisor, okay. and she was in a severe car accident. So I also lost my advisor. Oh, wow. So I was sort of floating, figuring out what I was supposed to do, wasn't sure who I should go meet with in order to even possibly leave the nursing department. And so that was very difficult. I had expected my mom to be very disappointed in me, 
When I told her I was going into education, she actually wept tears of joy because really? she has been a teacher her whole life. Oh, you're following and, in her footsteps. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it was exciting at that point in time. Oh, that's neat. So obviously, in my mind, it might not be obvious to you or our listeners, but the point where you are today in dealing with grief compared to when you were a college student is vastly different, right? It's vastly different. So what part of her diagnosis impacted you the most as a college student? As a college student, I think the biggest impact was the unknown. Not knowing what's coming next. Um, in the late 90s, we didn't know a lot yet about right. cancer. It almost was an automatic death sentence. I have actually probably for 20 years prepared myself to say goodbye to her. Yeah, She's been through 14 different surgeries. And every time she goes into surgery, I've been at the hospital with her yeah. and wondered if she was going to come out. And yeah. so walking through some of that it has been interesting. I had a student ask me not too long ago, how do we deal with long-term grief? Mm. And I said, it's exhausting. Yeah. You have to be able to find moments where you enjoy life yeah. where you are and continue. Are you an only child? I have an older brother. Okay. He is five years older and lives in Michigan. So he's an hour away from them. I'm three. Are you the primary caregiver though? Yes, for the good? most part. Yeah. He does pretty good. He comes down pretty often and checks in on mom, but girls, I think sometimes just care a little differently, but he's very close with my mom as well. Betsy, as I mentioned in the introduction, you began your career as a teacher, and it was during that time that the cancer returned. You were living in Springfield, away from your family. So what helped you cope and deal with the losses at that point? Honestly, it would be the families that surrounded me here. One of the biggest gifts I have had living in Springfield is just the families of my students, of my church family. I was at that time teaching at Emmanuel Christian Academy. Okay. And I will never forget one sweet young man named Jesse, who he and his parents funded a drive and gathered money to send my mom and I on a trip to visit my friend Nikki that I mentioned mm -hmm. that I had said goodbye to. And they right. sent us to Colorado Springs, all expenses paid, um, just to bless the two of us to get away yeah. when yeah. she was at a stage that she could do that. And so seeing that, um, seeing friends around me, my mom has always texted me, you have amazing friends. And she's not wrong. Right. She, there are just lifetime friends that I have made that walk alongside me. Yeah. They call her Mama Linnell. Yeah. They call her for her birthday, send yeah. her cards. Yeah. So that friendship has just been very sweet and of the Lord. I, I see that kind of friendship circling my brother. Mm -hmm. um, over in Indiana. He's from Indiana as well. And uh, it's really neat to see how the body of Christ and just friends in general, whether they know Jesus or not, they rally around in a, in a great way. I should have asked earlier, uh, you were talking about as a college student, the unknown was the difficult thing. You know really what's going to happen now. How are, you, how are you dealing with that? It's a different kind of hard. My brother and I were with my mom before Easter, a couple of weeks before Easter, and she asked us to sit down with her. We actually were standing. I think she was sitting. I don't remember. We were in the kitchen in their farmhouse, and she said, I need to know from both of you, are you okay if I stop fighting? Meaning if I stop the chemotherapy right, and right. the maintenance and right. the radiation. Her oncologist had shared with her that the next round would probably be more than her body could take and that she wasn't um, a candidate for immunotherapy. 
Okay. She just has, her body has fought and fought and fought. So obviously my brother and I look at each other and he's said at first, he goes, we're never going to be okay with you not here, but yes, we are okay with you resigning and enjoying your last several weeks or months or years and not having to take all of that medicine if that's what you right. want. Right. And I was able to look at her and say, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to a better place. Right. And that's, that's okay with us. And so I then didn't go home again for two weeks after that. And at Easter, she had such peace. You could just see that yeah. she was peaceful. My brother then said, I think in some ways our grief is going to be less painful after she's gone. And he almost said it like apologizing. And I said, no, you're right. So what is her prognosis? What is the time frame you, you guys are thinking um, about? Right now, because we're already a month in, it's probably between one to three months from now. So we're recording this uh, on May 11th, so th this summer. Probably this summer, most likely, yes. Does that mean you make more trips back to It Indiana? does. We're, we've already planned. Um, my sweet, sweet little girl, I asked her specifically, it may be really hard to see Grammy. Do you want to stay here? Um, I have dear, dear friends at the university that have offered to keep her for me if I needed yeah. to take trips. And she said, no, mommy, I want to be with you, even if it's hard. Yeah, I want to be with you. And so she is giving up a summer program that she loves so that we can spend a lot more time there this summer. And that will, those will be great memories for her yes. and you uh, that uh, will continue to forge a relationship. Bessie, there may be some listening who have not been able to prepare for a loss like mm. you are preparing right now. From your years as a clinical counselor, can you speak to grief of that kind? Absolutely. The traumatic losses or the losses that happen out of the blue are very different than saying goodbye to someone after a long illness from my experience. I've had a few of those happen, both as a clinician and personally. It often leaves a bit of unsettling. So similar to some of the things that I'm planning to do for my mom, I encourage individuals to do some of those things, even post-loss, whether that's writing the person who has passed a letter. I recently had the honor of a student asked me to take them over to Dr. Furman's grave. Really? And so I was able to take them over and they just wanted to have a last moment. They felt very unsettled. They had been in the gen psych class when he passed and had never gotten to say the things they wanted to say. Yeah. And so I took them over and just gave them some moments at his grave um, and prayed with them and brought them back. And so being able to do some of those things after the loss, being able to recognize ways to somehow get what they call closure surrounding a loss. A lot of times that happens at funerals or at memorials, but some individuals aren't ready yet right. to have that closure at that event, and they need right. something later. Sure. So just for context for our listeners, Dr. Michael Furman is, was a professor of psychology at Cedarville University, distinguished professor, and um, he um, very suddenly um, passed away from a heart attack. And so actually it was just probably just hours after his last class was when he passed. So dealing with that for, the, for your students had to be traumatic. And uh, as I think about others in loss, uh, how important is it to 
continue to say the person who has passed their name or and talk about that person. Is that part of the grieving process? It is, absolutely. Being able to talk about that individual and allowing others to share. One caveat I would share there is to let the person who is actively grieving determine that, allowing them to talk or not to talk. Sometimes yeah. we want to force the healing before they're ready and we can actually do more damage by trying to force them back into that. And instead of remembering, they're reliving the loss. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to follow whoever is grieving and ask them, would you like to share? Is there anything you would like to have said? What did yeah. you want more of? Those are kind of the two questions I ask as a clinician of, what do you wish you would have had more of? Yeah. Or what do you wish was different? It has to be somewhat awkward for like the family members or friends of the person who is grieving a loss of a, wife, a spouse or a, a relative um, to know what how to, how to deal with that, right? Absolutely. I sometimes say the best thing you can say is, I don't know what to say. Can I give you a hug? Yeah. <laughs> and just be there with them. Yeah. Betsy Linnell is my guest today on the Cedarville Stories podcast. And what you just said, Betsy, was really powerful about being there. Where did you learn that principle and concept? That would go back to my mom. Um, watching her, and actually even before that, my grandma, I think my mom's favorite story of my childhood, I was four years old. Okay. I was with my grandma and my mom at a nursing home. From the time I was very, very little, my grandma and my mom would go and visit the shut-ins from their church. And so we were in the nursing home and my grandma asked me, I loved to pray as a little girl. And she said, would you pray for these people in the nursing home? So I bowed my little head and I said, dear Jesus, please help these people in the funeral home get better. And all of the ladies burst out laughing. And I didn't know what was so funny. Right. And my mom said, you said funeral home. That's where the funerals are and where, and like she explained that that would be right. where they would be when they were dead. And I lost it. I started sobbing and was crying and was so mortified. And these sweet little old ladies all gathered around me and comforted yeah. me yeah. in that moment. But it helps me to think through being present, even if you say the wrong thing, really, really mattered. And so my mom has often said, you know, your presence matters. Let them know you care about them while you're living. And she loves to say that she who gives while she lives knows where it goes. Hmm. And so just being, living now in the moment. Yeah. What are some of your favorite memories uh, with your mom, whether childhood, college, post-college? Um, definitely girls trips. We went to Colorado Springs and then other times we have taken trips to Prince Edward Island. That was fun. And we went to see where Anna Green Gables was. Oh, that's special. Really also sewing together. She loves to give as I shared. And so she had taught me as a little girl to sew, and then I started making baby blankets for my friend's children, and she always does the binding for me because I'm not very good at putting the binding around the outside of the blanket. And so doing things like that together at the farm. Okay, so I'm going to bring this in because, uh, you know, you have this memory right now, but you're going to have it after she passes, and that's a saying that she says, has said to you, tell us about this special saying, how yes. you will always remember that. Um. From the time I was very little, I am an ugly crier to the point that I can't breathe very well while I'm crying. Mm -hmm. And so I was a pretty sensitive kid and she would pull me over on her lap or even play with my hair and she'd be like, just breathe, just breathe. And so I have that tattooed actually in her handwriting on my arm. 
And I have with it three chickadees because when I was probably in high school, for some reason, she started calling me her little chickadee. And she talked about how resilient chickadees are. And so she was mama chickadee, I was little chickadee, and now I have baby chickadee for my daughter on my arm. And that's something that uh, will go with you forever. Forever, yep. So as we look forward to um, down the road, I should say, um, you know, your mom is going to pass. I'm sure you're going to want to be there at that moment. Uh, And so Lord willing, you will be. But some people don't get that opportunity. Any advice for people who don't get that opportunity to be there when their loved one passes? Mm. I think Dr. Johnson gave me the best advice when I had shared with her that mom was going into hospice. She asked me, and I mean, obviously, as the VP, she could probably make the call, but she asked if I needed to go. And I said, no, I think I can finish the semester. I think I can be here. And she said, live each day now savoring it so that you don't have regrets. Even then, there are going to be a few things that you're going to wish were different. And so I would say to people there that are not able to be with their loved one, because I may not be. I'm still trying to finish up the semester. My kiddo's still in school. I make sure that each time I leave, I give her a hug and a kiss, and I tell her I love her. Um, If you don't get that last option or if, heaven forbid, you had – I've talked to multiple clients that had an argument with someone and then something tragic happens – Being able to go back and remember the last good memory that you had together and being able to hold on to those positives in that moment. Betsy Lale is still my guest here today on the Cedarville Stories podcast. I just have time for a couple more questions. Betsy, in talking with you recently, I know you spent Mother's Day with your mom, which was also her 75th birthday. Talk to me about how you tried to make this holiday and her birthday special, knowing that you may not have another Mother's Day or birthday to celebrate with her. It was hard. I'm not going to lie about that. She has gone downhill a little bit since even Easter, just the three weeks. And so one of the things that I did even at Easter was we took family pictures so that we would have those memories as a full family. For her birthday, we had as many of the cousins and my aunt and uncle. We made her her favorite cherry chip cake, even though she didn't have very much of an appetite. And she used the wheelchair, but came out to the dining room. She's Mm. been spending most of her time in the bedroom, but she came out to the dining room for that. I also had a card that many of my students here had signed and written to Mama Linnell and Mm. Mrs. Linnell that they put well wishes in, a big giant 75 card. Yep, you signed my card. So I read that to her over the weekend too, and that just meant a lot to her. Yeah. Betsy, uh, I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. I have time really just for one more question and and maybe the hardest question that I ask. So as you think about your life with your mom, great memories, difficulty as well, what do you think your mom's legacy will be in your mind? I think the things that I hold on to for a legacy that I would hope to instill even in my daughter are definitely to see the positives. Um, One thing about my mom, even in the midst of the cancer, she continued to work. She only took half-day Thursdays off, worked on Friday as a school teacher. She did not speak negatively about anyone that I can remember and was incredibly generous with her time and her heart and her money. And so really, truly living for others while we're here. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. And so recognizing that and seeing that as a legacy. Mm, That's a great legacy. And I've really enjoyed talking with you today. I, I was waiting for some tears. You, you did really well there. And uh, 
It's a very difficult situation and story to share. And I appreciate your courage. Appreciate your mom's willingness to let you tell this story. And I pray that those who listen to this podcast will benefit from really a very practical podcast because grief is something that we don't deal with well. We don't know how to deal with grief. And so thanks for giving some insight there, Bessie. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.